And this morning, my theme might uh, catch some of you guys off guard. My theme is celebrating Christmas in the middle of a war. You look at that picture, those guys were in the Korean War. They're setting up their Christmas tree there. And, and I know it's an unusual theme. I think when you see where I'm going, some of you will resonate with it. Hopefully a lot of you. Some of you may just think I'm some sort of Christmas sadomasochist or something along those lines. But I think at the end of the day, there are probably at least some in this room that are walking a line this Christmas season. And it's that line where you're, you're celebrating with joy that Jesus came. And yet you're dealing with the very real hurts and brokenness of this world. That's why I chose this theme. Because we truly are celebrating Christmas in the middle of a war. And it's my hope that as we break this down from a biblical perspective, it will, one, give us a, a clear picture of the reality of that, and two, give us an even stronger hope as we celebrate Christmas in the middle of a war. And as we do that, I'm going to walk through three themes a couple times this morning. Those themes are expectation. This is a season of expectation. I'm going to walk through the theme of war. And I'm going to walk through the theme of victory. I'm going to start with expectation. If you've been around kids much at all, especially this time of year, it's, it's a blast to watch them getting ready for Christmas. They get so excited. There's such a wonder in them about this whole season. Some of you saw on Facebook the other day that Jaden grabbed my iPhone. I woke up and, and I found him underneath our Christmas tree with my iPhone. He, pressed, he was pressing the button that talks to Siri. That's the artificial intelligence on the phone. And you can use it to say, hey, give me directions to Olive Garden or how many quarts are in a gallon and things like that. He pressed the button and he, he says, what does this sound like? And then he was shaking his presence. <laughs> now, that's pretty cool, man. He is expecting, he, he's expectant for, for Christmas morning. He can't wait. He wants to know what's in there. I also thought of a more profound expectation that I think it's hard for us to appreciate because we're on the other side of Jesus coming. See, expectation of the nation of Israel for the coming Messiah before he came. They were captive because of their sin. They had been ravaged by empire after empire after empire. Then they get these messages of mercy from prophets like Isaiah. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Hard to imagine the way they hoped and longed for that. One man described it this way. Listen to this. He said, Such was the hope of the promise made of God unto the fathers for which the twelve tribes of Israel longed. Listen to how he described their hope. With such vividness that they read it in almost every event and promise. Everything that happened, every promise they heard, is this it? Is this the coming of the Messiah? 
with such earnestness that it was ever the burden of their prayers. When they prayed, they prayed, God, send this Messiah with such intensity that many and long centuries of disappointment have not quenched it. Century after century, they longed for the coming Messiah. Maybe even more than some of us long for our first cup of coffee in the morning. <laughs> if you can believe that. I'm sure it was more than that. They, they couldn't wait for this Messiah to come. And, and we know that that expectation they had was fulfilled. Nobody said it better than this guy. You remember this? Explaining the meaning of Christmas. He read from the King James, so I will too. He said, and there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Oh, what good news that was to the nation of Israel and is to us. And there was an elderly gentleman at the temple. You'll remember when Mary and Joseph went down when Jesus was eight days old. A gentleman named Simeon. He typified this kind of expectation and longing. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25, listen to what it says. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. He was waiting. He was waiting for this moment. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms. Can you put yourself in Simeon's place? You've been waiting your whole life for this moment. Your nation has been waiting for centuries. And now you hold this baby Messiah. He exploded in praise. He said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. His expectation was fulfilled. What a, what a beautiful thing. We celebrate that this Christmas season. But even Jesus coming into the world was surrounded by war. It was an act of war for Jesus to come into this world as God in flesh. You know that, right? There's a prince of this world, the ruler of darkness, who wanted nothing to do with God in flesh coming here on a rescue mission. 
Remember the Herod story, right? Matthew chapter 2. Herod was a paranoid king who often had his own family members killed because he was so insecure. So the wise men come to him. At this point, Jesus is probably about two years old. We know that because it says they were living in a house in Bethlehem. They were not at the stable. So most of our nativity scenes, if you have wise men, you should put them maybe like on the other side of the room because they're still coming. They don't get there for a couple years. But they come following the star and they come to Herod and they say, where is this king? And Herod calls his prophets and they say there was supposed to be a baby king in Bethlehem and, and Herod wants nothing to do with this king. He wants this king killed, but he knows he can't just come out and say that to the wise men. So he says, hey, if you find him, let me know where he's at so I can come and worship him with you. Herod was a pretty sneaky guy. He had a plan to kill the baby Jesus. So the wise men go, they find Jesus. God warns them in a dream, don't go back to that Herod. God warns Joseph in a dream to take Jesus and Mary to Egypt and hide. But you remember what happened. Look at the contrast here. This Messiah has come into the world. Now listen to this. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The coming of the Messiah, what a, what a celebration, what an expectation fulfilled. Side by side with countless mothers with empty arms in that city, weeping the loss of their child because of Satan's attack through King Herod. Now, what are we to make of this? Well, we can see God gained the victory even in the midst of the attack, right? Because he gave Joseph the dreams. Get him out of there. He told the wise men not to go back. We know looking back, that in Jesus' coming, he gained the ultimate victory through his birth, his death on the cross, and the resurrection. He said his purpose was not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we know from Colossians that when he died on the cross, it says he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Listen to this. He has taken it away nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities. That's Satan and his demons. He disarmed them at the cross. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Despite Satan's worst attacks repeatedly in Jesus' life, he won. He won. He brought us joy when we trust in him. He brings forgiveness. He brings the Holy Spirit he brings belonging, significance, and direction to our lives, as we've been talking the past few weeks. He gives us power to join him in his mission and take the good news to other people, bringing them out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. 
I think of Jennifer and Brenda just this year. One snatched from a desire for life to end. One snatched from the lie that, yes, God can forgive others, but he can't really forgive me. I think of what's going on down at the Gospel Rescue Mission. 15 to 16 women and a number of children being loved on in tangible ways. Food, shelter, but even more importantly, the good news of Jesus is being spoken into their lives. I think of the numerous people that our missional communities are reaching in neighborhoods, taking the good news of Jesus. Lives are changing. I think even about the shoeboxes in Mexico that you all put together and Pastor Paul took down yesterday to kids that might not have a Christmas otherwise. They were passed out yesterday in a park by a church. And as they passed them out, they told those kids the good news of Jesus. Those kids had a Christmas and they heard the good news. Paul's going to send some pictures. And the picture I have that's going on is Jesus came into this dark world as light in the darkness. And now we carry that torch. Just as in the Olympics, that torch is passed from one runner to another. And it's passed on and on. That's what we're in the process of doing. Passing on the light in the darkness. There's a lot to celebrate. There's victory in the middle of the war. So here's an important question. If the victory was won, which we believe it was by Jesus, how come so many of us feel like Charlie Brown in this other famous scene? You remember this one? It's a little bit earlier in the show. Charlie Brown and Linus are talking. And Charlie Brown says, I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. Anybody relate to Charlie Brown? I'm not happy. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. And I love Linus. He says, Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. <laughs> Maybe Lucy's right. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Browniest. <laughs> How many of us really love Charlie Brown because we relate to him? Maybe, maybe some of you are feeling like that today. I know it's Christmas, but I don't feel happy. Well, we wrestle with that because the, the battle continues. The victory has been won, but Jesus has not yet come to claim the full rights of that victory. Right now, the light shines in the darkness. What does that mean? That there is still darkness for the light to shine in. Any of us who are honest about our lives could admit that. There's still darkness that that light's shining in. I think about uh, whether it's Pirates of the Caribbean or that commercial that's out right now for some brand of liquor. I forget, you know, release the Kraken. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll have some of that. Um, <laughs> I think about the Kraken, right? I picture Satan and his ongoing attacks like this. I imagine him attacking a ship, okay? And, and a cannon on the ship has given him a mortal wound to his head. That's what Jesus did at the cross. 
He crushed that serpent's head. He won the victory. But, but I imagine as that kraken goes down, in his anger and in his pride at God and those he has created, those long tentacles reach up and it's his desire to bring down as many as he can with them. He has lost, I believe he knows he's lost, but he's going to fight hard on the way down. Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Look, if it happened even around Jesus' entry into the world with Herod, of course it's going to happen in our lives. The Bible calls him the accuser of our souls. He's the one that comes along and loves to remind us of the sins in our past. The Bible says he prowls like a lion, seeking whom he might devour. He came to steal and kill and destroy. And how many of us know the attack? Maybe even this week, the discouragement that he seems to bring. The, the depression, the darkness, the ways he comes at us. I think about it just in some of the, the broken family situations. Right now I have a, a friend who we know and love battling stage four cancer. Got a call from a family that has a family member in Mexico that was in a rollover in their vehicle and he was life flighted to Phoenix last night with, with water in his lungs. The battle still rages. Many of you know that firsthand. Probably all of us do. The good news is there's victory to be had in the battle. Yes. Ephesians 6.13. I hear you saying, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. We can stand in the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit who lives in us. He says, resist the devil and he will Flee from you. That is a promise. Now here's the hard news. Just like in Jesus' life, when Satan met Jesus in the desert and tempted him for 40 days, Jesus defeated him with the word of God, right? And Satan left, but you know what it says? It doesn't say he left for good. It says he left him till a more opportune time. That's the nature of this life. We can win those battles, but Satan is not going to give up. So, so what do we do with this? What do we do with this Charlie Brown feeling that I don't quite feel the way I'm supposed to at Christmas? Because this battle's going on. Darren Patrick, pastor out east, says it this way. Quote, it's the most wonderful time of the year, but amidst all the parties for hosting and marshmallows for toasting, let's face it. Christmas time can make us feel more like Charlie Brown than Linus. Despite the joy of the season, we cannot escape the sadness of the moment. But what if Linus is partly wrong? What if there's a place for our sadness during the holidays? Maybe our sadness points to a deeper longing within us that won't be satisfied with shopping and decorating and eating food that goes right to our thighs. <laughs> Not feeling like it's Christmas may actually help us meet the Christ of Christmas. Jesus was born in a messy manger and he isn't afraid to encounter us in our messy lives. He comes to bring joy to sad places, including our hearts. So let's refuse to drown our sadness in consumerism and eggnog this year. 
Let's remind ourselves that there is a king who came and is coming, is coming to wipe away every tear. And that's where I want to get back to expectation. If you're sitting here at Christmas looking at Jesus' first coming and saying, man, I still don't feel joy, I want to encourage you to lift your eyes to his second coming. When he will come to claim his rights of victory in full. Just like Israel was longing for him the first time, I want to challenge us to lift our eyes to his second coming. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul's saying, hey, if you're looking forward, if you're expecting Jesus to come again and you can't wait for that moment, there's a crown for you. There's a crown waiting for you. And what is it we're expecting? 1 Thessalonians 4, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And he closes by saying, therefore, encourage one another with these words. If you're here celebrating the first coming, you say, man, I need something more. Challenge is lift your eyes to that second coming. When he comes not as a baby in a manger, but as a reigning, victorious warrior king who with one word of his mouth will destroy every bit of evil, injustice, pain, and suffering that you now experience in your life. He says, lift your eyes to that victory because the first victory was light in the darkness when he came. The second victory is the elimination of darkness altogether. That's our hope. Listen to how he describes it in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Some of you are probably bummed out about that. You like deep sea fishing. I don't know, maybe. But here's the good news. (laughs) I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He said, I am making everything new. And then check this out. There will be no more night. No more darkness. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. No more light in the darkness. It's going to be just light. Whatever darkness you're facing today, Paul says, look, look forward. That's where your hope comes from. Colossians 1, faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. What's that mean? Faith and love 
that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. He's saying as you look forward and you know what's coming, that's the hope that gives you faith and love to conquer in the battle today. That's how we celebrate Christmas in the middle of a war. I want to close by saying, what do we do with this? Well, first, obviously, let's celebrate the light that has shined and is shining in the darkness. Celebrate that Jesus, the cosmic act of war by God against his enemy, came into this world. Celebrate that. Carry that light to those who are in darkness that haven't yet found the hope of Jesus. Tell them the good news that he came not just to be a baby, but to to grow and to die the death that we deserved and to rise again so that we could experience forgiveness and victory. Third, be sensitive to those who are in the middle of the war right now this season. Don't force them to put on the plastic smile and say Merry Christmas. If someone's in the middle of the war, come alongside them. Comfort them. If you're in the middle of the war today, Claim the victory even in the middle of the battle. Even as Herod attacked, God saved Jesus. He warned Joseph. There's victory to be had now and let it lift your expectations to his second coming. Whatever you're facing right now, just know there's a king coming who's going to wrap up all this garbage and put an end to it. Look to the future when the war will end and let it be the source of your faith and love today. Father, we thank you so much that Jesus came as light in the darkness. Thank you for that baby who grew and lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserved and rose again. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that needs that light, looking for light in their lives that that they will reach out to, to anyone in this room and say can you tell me a little bit more about that light that you have I want that I need that hope and Father I pray for any in this room who are facing the war in an intense way right now whether it's an illness or broken family accident I think of our community in general we're, we're all still hurting over the loss of our loved ones in that horrible fire, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, for for entering into the hurt and pain of our world. I thank you that you give us hope that one day that hurt and pain will, will be a thing of the past. We pray your comfort upon those especially and directly affected by that. Father, we thank you for the victory we have to look forward to, that one day darkness will be a thing of the past. May every Christmas light we look at this season remind us of that fact. Give us faith and love for the days, weeks, months, years ahead. In Jesus' awesome name, the name of God with us, we pray, amen.